Welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. Today is actually the second time Darren's been on this, but this is even better because it's in person in a fancy <laughs> new studio. Uh, so I've got Mr. Darren Farrell, 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 uh, IFBB pro who's going to the Olympia this year uh, and also will be someone who'll be coaching me from now on, which I'm very, very excited yeah, about. Me so too. <laughs> um, thank you very much for your time today, Darren. Today we're going to discuss uh, everything classic physique, bodybuilding training, and then some more personal questions in terms of like mentality, what drives you, some of the challenges you've been through over the years and recently, and how you've overcome out the other side of those. So thank you very much for your time. No, I'm awesome to be here. You know, I've, I've known you, I've known you for years. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's funny. Usually podcaster with people you don't really know, but this is like, it's going to be like a, a chat and catch up. So it should be good. And hopefully some valuable information for everyone. hundred percent. Now, to discuss actually interestingly why I came to you in terms of from like a, a bodybuilding coaching perspective, like I'm a big fan in terms of modeling and not like in front of the camera, but like the same with like the business coaching offer and the fitness coaching we offer. Like I go to people who have walked the walk and done what I want to do. And that's the quickest way to learn. Is that something that you've done over the years in terms to get you through your bodybuilding career and who's had the biggest influences on that? Yeah, 100%, you know, um, obviously I have, I have quite a, extensive formal education and nutrition as well but like i'll be the first to tell you that this industry and, and prepping people and getting people stage ready isn't as much about formal education as it's about experience and a different type of education that you can't go somewhere to learn you can only learn it from people who are already doing it and um, so over the years i have i've worked with some top level coaches that i have felt were the best in certain fields um, you know, like uh, Patrick Chore, I think is a, an incredible with managing nutrition and sort of um, meal timings and nutrients, uh, insulin use. Um, obviously, his sort of knowledge of that came from like Milos Sarchev, who's renowned for the insulin use. And I've spoken with guys like Milos, paid for consults with some of the top guys in the industry. And thus, I've just watched the industry and um, just taken bits and pieces from different coaches like my training and my background and sort of all of that i would say is heavily modeled originally from sort of jordan peters and then a combination of other things i've done as well but i think a lot of a huge foundation of my knowledge has probably come from jordan peters and then i've expanded on it with certain things and sort of created my own sort of way you referred to patrick then in terms of nutrition and meal timing what what was the specifics you took from that out of interest he was just meticulous, like to another level. And it's something I, I talk about a lot with like, you know, when someone's prepping for a show and stuff, they'll tell you they're a hundred percent, but everyone's a hundred percent is different. And, you know, I'm well known for being a hundred percent, but when I worked with Patrick, I'm like, okay, there, there's still more room to, to improve and eke out an extra 1% better, like difference daily, just from timing of like your just your supplements around meals like and throughout the day spacing out different supplements throughout the day spacing out different like nutrient timings you know looking at like your post-workout window looking at like your intra-workout nutrition all just meticulous and for a lot of people like i remember when i first seen it and i was like holy crap that's a lot to do i'm carrying around a box of pills all day and i'm doing all of this but it's the sort of those little things add up to something, you know, and it just, it opens your, your mind to that there is always more you can be doing. And that's one big thing I'll say to people is, you know, you think you're doing a hundred percent, but let's, you know, reality is, is do a lot of self-reflection and you'll realize you're not, you know, um, just like the other day I, I talked to like clients about like cardio and I'm like, okay, you're 30 minutes of cardio. Where's your heart rate at? They're like, I don't know. Okay, are you sweating? Not really. And I'm like, I send them, I send them a picture of me after doing 30 minutes of cardio, and my, I can drench out my t-shirt. So there's an effort level involved there. And I think that's where it's important for people to understand the difference between, like, just ticking a box and ticking a box properly. Because yeah. you can just tick the box, you can actually see something through. Yeah, there's there's a diff yeah, definitely there's a difference between getting something done and actually doing something. 100%. In regards to obviously you working with Patrick and then you made the switch, what was the deciding factor in you changing coaches out of curiosity? So I, I went to Patrick because I was a huge fan of everything he's done and I, I knew some of the athletes he'd worked with and everyone had spoken quite highly of him. But like, listen, one of the realities of this industry is you work with a top level coach, you have to realize they work with top level guys. And, and if you're not at the very top, you're probably not getting the most attention to detail. No, sorry, not attention to detail, but you're not their priority always. You know, for me, um, as a coach myself with my clients, I'm, I'm very responsive, I'm very hands-on. And um, Patrick was for, for an extent, and then the, I had an injury and I wasn't going to compete for another while. And then sort of check-in responses started taking a little longer. 
um, and you know, just I didn't feel like I was a, a, anywhere near a priority from at the time anymore. Um, and also from from a I, originally, I'd only I'd wanted to go from him, go to him for just improving my own knowledge as a coach, and I felt like I'd taken all of that what I what I needed from that. Sounds pretty cynical, but that's the reality of it. I think I'd learned learned what I wanted to learn from him, and then I felt like it was time to to move on and try and learn something else because. For me, although yes, I'm a very successful athlete. Um, those who know me close will know that I, I do, and I put what I in, put in what I do daily for like training and stuff because I love it, not because I want to be a top level athlete. And it's never been my goal. You know, my goal was never to get on the Olympia stage. It's just a byproduct of what I've been doing. Um, whereas I have been dedicated to being a coach for the last ten years. Coaching is always going to be my priority, and that's where I want to leave a mark on this industry. What fascinates me with that, what you just said, is the same I was actually saying to Michael behind the camera in terms of in the car. It's like, it's focusing on the process, not the prize. And it's like, say from like a, a business perspective, I just fucking love it. Like, yeah. I like I get excited every day to wake up at 4.30 and fucking get out of it and train and do whatever I have to do because it's what sparks me. It's not just like the end goal at the end. And it's the same in terms of like me developing my physique. It's not just the way I want to look. It's the process of doing that, that I enjoy that. And I think that's where too many people fall short because they're too focused on... I want to achieve X, Y, rather than like enjoying the moment of what they're doing yeah. each day. I think if, you're, if your focus is on the end goal, you miss so many of the little details that actually get you to there. You know, you're focused on becoming an IFBB pro, but you're, you're missing out on the, the actual things you should be focusing on a day-to-day basis that are going to add up to being there. It's a, a saying like, it's like, if, if you want to be like, be a pro, then behave like a pro now. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's, that's something I, I've just, I've done for the last couple of years is, but for me, it's I, I've always been a, a competitive person. I've always played sport all my life. Like I was bred playing sport, basically. I was born to do it. And when that was taken away from me through injuries and stuff, I, need, I needed something else to put my sort of focus on. And I just love the control I get from bodybuilding, that it's what I put in determines what I get out of it. You know, And I can see the improvements daily. I can see myself getting better. That's what it's about. Like the shows, I, to be honest, like, if you see me on days of days of shows, I'm miserable. I hate getting on stage. I'm not someone who likes to be in the limelight. I don't like the shows, but it's just part of the, the thing, you know. But um, for me, it's all about the, the day-to-day thing. I think that's why I improve so much in my off seasons because I just love the process. It's not about the prep and it's not about that. So it's all year round. I'm focused on something. Ironically, I'm exactly the same in terms of that. With like not wanting the highlights in terms of stage time. It's just enjoying the process to get there and see how much you can push yourself. And that's why for me more than like, say from a fitness aspect compared to bodybuilding or um, sorry, business compared to fitness, like you control everything that happens with your body. If you lose weight or get lean, that's because of what you've done in your daily actions. Yeah. There's no external factors like um, the economy or anything else that can affect it. It's down to you to like execute everything like you're supposed to do every day that will get yeah. you the end result. And I don't think there's anything else in the world that's quite no. like that. And it is, it's an individual thing. You're not in a team sport where you're like relying yeah, on anyone else. It's all on you. And it's, it's quite like I, th- I spoke about this. I can't remember the exact phrase I used about it, but it's, it's a beautiful simplicity that it is just, that's, that is what it is. You, you put in and you, what you put in is what you get. Nothing Why? else determines the outcome. Why do you think so many people try and overcomplicate it? Uh, money. <laughs> you know, you, you put out something that is like the next, all this complicated stuff and sound like you know what you're talking about and, you know, you're, you're selling a product. Like, started back in the day with, you know, Y3T training by Neil Hill programs. You know, not, not, not taking anything from Neil Hill, the guy's a legend in the sport. He's an incredible trainer, incredible coach. But, you know this whole idea of a Y3T program being the next big thing and everyone jumped on and everyone wanted to be a Y3T coach. It's phased out now because something else came in. The, the foundation of it all has always been hard work, progressive overload, be be consistent. doesn't matter what you do. And I think the key word there is consistency. It's the same yeah. with everything. And it's people don't understand the compounding effect of daily wins and how those things stack on themselves. And that's literally the key. But it's, it's funny, like, and I say it to everyone, I say Bodybuilding is one of the most simple processes in the world. Any monkey could do it, but it's the application people fail in. It's funny that you say that because I often say to people sometimes that, not that I wish I was less intelligent, but 
if I didn't think things so deeply and overthink things, it would be easier because I overcomplicate things in my own head, trying to like overcomplicate things that don't really make much difference rather than <laughs> just thinking me, about like, I lift it. as heavy as you can, make sure you eat in a calorie surplus, don't mess your digestion up and sleep, that's it. Trust me, I get that. You know, often I'm like, God, I wish I hadn't learned as much as I learned because every day I'm like, should I do this or should I do that? Would this make a difference or would that make a difference? If I knew absolutely nothing and I just applied myself, it would probably end up with the same result. But that's why it's so important, I think, for even like I have a coach, you're now helping me, you have a coach who's helping you, having someone from an external point of view to help you level up, because the same fitness business or whatever it is, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I give it a great example, like the last week or so, you told me about the salt thing. I've never weighed how much salt I was like taking daily. <laughs> and I started weighing my salt and adding 12 grams of like pink Himalayan salt to my food. My body weight went up two kilos and I suddenly feel way better and I can train again and I like look way better. Yeah. Like, because you don't know what you don't know. And it's funny because it's like you, you when you think about the purpose of that and you go, well, it's, it's all about hydration and electrolyte balance. You're like, that's one of the most basic and important things you should have. And it should be like one of your number one priorities daily is managing your fluid intake and your, and your sodium intake. In particular, when you live somewhere hot like Dubai, like yeah. I was, I was, I was my food loads, taking those electrolytes, I thought it was fine. But to you actually weigh something and are specific, and like we talked about earlier, like paying attention to the details, you're like, shit, this is nowhere near enough. Yeah. And, and that's the critical thing. Absolutely. In regards to um, PEDs and like performance enhancing drugs and within bodybuilding, do you see any trends like with that that are going on at the moment that are getting out of hand? I know we spoke beforehand in regards to. Uh, a client who came to you recently, like given some ridiculous stack that's way over the top. Is there anything for anyone listening to this that, that people should be wary of or use critical thinking with, do you think? To be honest, I think th from that side of things, I think that's the one, one of the main parts of the industry that is really improving is the actual education and knowledge that's been put out there regarding PED cycles. You know, like a couple of years ago, it was so faux pas that nobody would speak about it. It was like, oh God, you can't talk about that. But now that people aren't afraid to talk about it, good and bad, you know, people talk out, I've been doing this, and you're like, God, you're an idiot, you shouldn't have been doing that. But actually educated people now are not afraid to talk. The ones who have been educated know what they're talking about. They're not afraid to talk about it because they're not afraid that, oh, it's going to damage my business that I talk about, you know, steroid use. Um, so that's definitely one of the massive positives that's come out lately. And I think there's a far more educated approach with PED cycles. And I'm seeing less and less being used now in a trend, like, in general, there'll always be people who push the boat too much, um, you know, and as as these more educated coaches who are having this approach start climbing, you know, we're seeing those other ones that like the more old school methods sort of weaning out. What's the worst thing you've seen from the steroid side of things in the bodybuilding? God, I, I couldn't name just one like this. Oh, I can't like always just seeing cycles way too high. You know, um, but I'd say from a from a health standpoint, I'd, I'd say just the, the sort of like thyroid medication being crazy high, not being not being controlled right, just being stopped. You know, no, no sort of tapering off at post show and the, the effects that have on, on a, a hormonal level, um, especially within females who have have, have come, come to me from other coaches and stuff like that. From the outside, it's not thing I have an experience in coaching, but from what I see. Coaching females with performance science drugs seems like the wild west. Yeah, yeah. Um, because like, let's, let's be real, people who start like this, nobody's really educated and like, the, and, there's, and then even more so, yes, we're seeing information being come out now about, you know, cycles and stuff like that and PED use, but that's from experience, it's from knowledge, it's from learning, but there's, there's very little people actually putting out educational content related to sort of PED use within females, because within females it's still a bit faux pas. You know, lots of girls are afraid to talk, to, to admit to being, you know, on on gear, on using anything. Um, so they're not, it's not really, if it's not being spoken about, it's not being ridiculed, it's not being like, nobody can say, that's not what you should be doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's still a bit like there. And, and I think there's, there's also this sort of, like I won't lie, the amount of girls who come to me even within the bikini category and they're like, oh, my coach said if I wanted to be pro, I needed to use X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you, f funny fact is every pro bikini girl I've put on stage has been natural. 
So it's absolutely not necessary. Is it? Is that saying that it's, it, it shouldn't be used or it's not used? No, I'm not saying that at all. Of course, there's plenty of girls within the pro bikini level at the very top level are using, but I'm saying it is possible to be a pro bikini athlete natural. What's your opinion on performance enhancing drugs in the sport? In other sports? Yeah, like in say, it's like, I know for a fact that it's rife within rugby, football, yeah, basketball, same. every single sport out there. And no one wants to fucking talk about it. No one wants to admit it, but it's within every single sport in the world. And people yeah. don't understand that like the world is running on money and success. The people at the very top are never going to get caught. What's your opinion with like that, for example? You know, obviously I come from a professional sporting background as well. And, and like yourself, I know it's, I know it's used in a, it's very commonly used um, within rugby, football, more more so from, obviously from rugby within a performance standpoint, a lot of it as well as within a recovery standpoint from injuries and stuff like that. Um, but again, until like the sort of, the people at the top, the governing bodies sort of accept that it's being used and they, they'll make it allowed, um, then nobody will talk about it, will they? Because they'll get punished and banned, so it's a slippery slope because it opens a can of worms into almost but I think it's almost like we were saying earlier in terms of um, how steroid use say for example in bodybuilding has improved because of people actually talking openly yeah. about it like there being open communication with the world of like this is what's actually going on with it like Premier League footballers for example or yeah. professional rugby players would probably help there not be so much shady shit going under the radar which is then causing problems for people not knowing what yeah. they're doing. To, to be fair, I think at that level, when you're, when you're looking at like premiership footballers and what's been done there, I think a lot of it is under the guidance of mm. doctors and medical staff and stuff. So I don't think safety is really an issue no. um, there. It's probably more in the lower ranks with people, you know, not quite there looking to get a kickstart and get themselves known and get up, you know, especially within rugby. Like I know a lot of underage rugby players who... Who've spoken spoke to me like oh, I'll get in my DMs and asking me questions and stuff and I know a lot of people from a performance basis and they're like oh I'm, I'm doing X Y and Z and I'm taking this and I'm like that's absolutely not necessary you <laughs> know but it's what they've heard in a local gym that bro science chat yeah what's your opinion in terms of like with your own career so far what's been the biggest challenge for you becoming an IFBB pro and then when you were a pro what was the biggest challenge then pressure or both of them yeah definitely for for me like the, the actual doing it day to day and like i love it it's no different i love that i think for me what I've, I've struggled to manage is the external pressure i feel to perform and to take things to the next level and you know try and always be be at a level and live up to a certain name and things like that um it's something i'm definitely getting better with now as i'm, I'm realizing that that shit doesn't really matter um, trying to just get back to enjoying what I do and taking some of that pressure away and I've noticed performance, mood, happiness, everything is a lot better since I've been able to control that. But it's, it's so, like it's something nobody teaches you and you, it's it's a weird position to be in, probably more so for someone like me who never expected it. And I've, I've never been, like you'll know me, I'm not someone who's loud and out there and I'm quite private and quiet and you know, so it's, it's a different, uh, it's a whole different ball game. Do those pressures come externally from social media and the attention you get from that? You feel you have to like almost live up to this person you've become? Yeah, a little bit. And I think that you fall into this sort of trap within it of external gratification, placing your values on like what people think and say about you and how you're looking or whatever, which is a very dangerous, <laughs> dangerous place to be, you know, and you start losing sight of what's really important in your day to day stuff. I would agree with that 100%. I think that's one of the things I've probably felt as my life changed a lot over the last few years. Like I recently moved to Dubai in January, had a fairly traumatic move here um, with relationships and whatever. And then four years ago, I was an estate agent. So the world has completely changed for me in that period of time. Now I live in the desert and it's <laughs> it's fun. But um, it's then the pressures that come with that from the outside because yeah. people have high expects and expectations of you to go and what you're going to do next like what's yeah like people think you've got everything mapped out you know exactly what the fuck you're doing like and this is the thing is like we're all working this out like at the same time like i've never done what i'm doing before right now yeah you've never been to the olympia before like you're that's working the, this that's out the thing is the crazy thing and like i said this to the other, someone the other day they said they made a comment about like i was talking about how hard they work and they're like oh you're the same and except you're at a different level i'm like it doesn't matter what level you're at what you, what matters is what you put in on a day-to-day -day basis you know so i said i'm no better than you are every person in the gym is the same no matter what level you're at is you know there's no more someone doesn't command more respect or anything like that and it's 
it's kind of just coming to that, realizing that we're all on a level playing field and it's not. When you sort of do achieve this sort of level of success and you are in the limelight and obviously with our business and stuff, social media plays a huge part of it. It's crazy that people just expect that they they deserve to know everything about you. And then you kind of feel this pressure that you should share more. And it's like, well, no, I still deserve to have a private life. At the end of the day, I'm a normal person. Interesting question. And this is something I found, and I think you're very similar to me. I'm naturally a very introvert person. So I was incredibly shy when I was younger. And I've become extrovert in ability to almost like turn it on and have like an alter ego. So then I can like talk now on podcasts or I can do whatever I can do. It's almost like I become this other version of me. Do you find like that's a little bit of like what's happened to you in terms of you know how to become almost like this different person? And do you also find that for me that I almost now really like just spending time on my own? Like my favorite thing is going for a walk on my own or just sitting in a coffee shop on my own, just like with a pen and paper and just writing, brainstorming ideas or anything like that. I like a, like solitude in a bit of a monk way. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's for, I'm still not the most confident person. Like you, anyone who follows me will see, I, don't, I rarely talk on my stories and stuff like that. I'm, I, I'll post lots to do with the gym. The, the gym and training and all of that thing is my comfort zone because I, I know I'm good at it. You know, and there has been this external gratification that, that kind of makes me feel like I'm good at that. Everything else is like I'm still very much an introvert and I live a very quiet life. Um, you know, I live outside of the kind of main city here in Dubai. I live down in a villa complex with my wife and my dogs. And what I've done with my work and done with the gym and stuff, I'll, you know, I'll watch Netflix. Uh, recently got back into, my wife bought me a Sudoku book. Uh, so I do like three, four Sudokus a day, things like that, you know. Again, the solitude of just being in my own head. What makes you happy? peace you know I, I, I do love a quiet simple life you know and just I don't want to have stress the opposite of stress and <laughs> um, so for me like when people ask what's your life goals and stuff I just want like financial freedom and to be able to do what I love because I want to do it I don't want to have to I don't want to have to take on hundreds of clients for coaching because I need to make rent I just want to I want to coach the people I want to coach you know, I'm slow I'm, I'm Luckily, I'm sort of in that position now and I'm coaching a lot of people. And that gives me gives me a lot of joy, you know. Um, I love show day weekends with clients. I love that process. I love, it's more, you know, what I love is them being like, oh my God, I can't believe that I looked like that or I can't believe that happened because you did that. And it's like, when they just see the reward for the hard work they've been putting in. That's just, yeah. What makes you fulfilled? Um, I think I'm probably still learning that. Um, it's something I've struggled with is to feel fulfilled. I've always felt like I'm chasing something. Um, like always more. It's like every time, like I've spoken about this myself, is like I've always been like from a young age, obviously I spoke about being in sport. My parents were in sport. Sport was my life. You know, I play, it was all I knew, all I did. I was, you know, trained every day of my life for hockey and then rugby as well. Played at the highest levels. And my sort of self-worth was placed on achievement within sport. And it's kind of all I knew. And like, even then it was like, when I think about it from like a, a subconscious way, my parents almost made me think that's the way it should be. You know, like I always got rewarded for doing well in sport, you know? And it's like, it was never just being about being a simple life. Um, so it's kind of carried into my, my adult life and like what's brought me fulfillment it is like, chasing another achievement and it's like with every big great achievement there's a lull because you feel nothing what next it's, it's a what next it's like all of a sudden you do like turn pro and then all of a sudden it's like okay now i've got to try and place top five in a pro show win a pro show which i never actually planned on doing <laughs> the show i end actually won was supposed to be my last show ever um i went to america just because i felt like i could have displayed something better and I wanted to step on stage and be you know to be happy with how I looked and really bring my very best never expecting that to be a physique that would qualify for the Olympia so I was like oh well now it's on to the Olympia now people are talking where do you think you place at the Olympia and it's like god now there's that pressure it's like I just want to just want to enjoy it <laughs> what's the plan after the Olympia um I still feel like I can do more within this space in terms as an athlete. So I, I still don't feel like I've reached my maximum potential there. So I think probably another year of competing. Um, I would love to 
do the Arnold Ohio and then uh, also go back to the Olympia next year. So, you know, so it's not just a once off. And then, then I potentially say that I'll probably be done, uh, but who knows? And I think that's the rich part of life. And I think what we said was interesting there in terms of like what makes you fulfilled. I think often when you achieve goals, it leaves you feel very vacant. And that's, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking about this actually this morning in that context of like, I have goals of like the two main things I want within the next two to three years. And I was like, I thought in my head is like, but what are you going to do when you actually achieve that? Because you're going to want something else next. And it's, that's almost one of the issues I found over the years is I get stuck into this constantly chasing more and more and more. And I never get to where I want because as soon as I get close, I move the goal so I can never actually achieve fulfillment. Yeah. And something that I've had a psychologist tell me was like, when you're scaling the mountain, sometimes you need to stop and look back and enjoy the view, which is something that I'm trying to take context of because sometimes I don't, I get so stuck in the like, execute everything every day, like be the best at everything, try and progress that you don't actually like see how good life sometimes is in front of you and you take things for granted. 100% and that's something that I'm sort of in the same situation you know I think the last couple of like months I've done a lot of reflections probably the first time that I've ever kind of been like you know I'm, I'm proud of that you know despite what the the driving factors behind it I'm still proud that that I did that you know you know at one point I'd actually taken down all of my framed bodybuilding achievements from the house I took them all down and put them in the spare room because I was like I'm sick of looking at them because they just made me feel nothing and then it was more I kind of talked and I, I worked with a, a psychologist and she helped me massively in terms of the same sort of thing, being able to take take charge of it, everything and you know, actually look at the positives behind what I'd done and be proud of those because if you don't, if you're not proud of what you've achieved, then it was all worth nothing. What, why, because we obviously have the same, I can't say the word issue, same challenge with this. Why do you think men struggle with this? In particular, I would define us both as fairly successful in our fields. Like, why do you think we struggle with this? Because men are afraid to talk, bottle everything up. You know, it's, it's society teaches men that you have to be strong. You know, you, even as a, even as a kid, you fall, you fall, and you cut your knee, and you cry, and what's your mum tell you? Be a big boy. You know, big boys don't cry. Big boys don't show emotion. You know, it's, it's all a subconscious level that's gone through, and it carries through in life. And it's like it's it's seen as a weakness for men to kind of express express their emotional side, and you know, you become such a an alpha and everything gets bottled up and you know it's it ends up getting to that situation where you just don't have any control of of yourself and who you are i would agree with that 100 i think i've probably very much had one of those years this year where like this year i've cried more i probably haven't cried for five years <laughs> but i probably cried like every two weeks this year for whatever different reason of yeah. just different shit going on and it's one of those things you suddenly i think life as you get older is about becoming self-aware of who you are and what you really want and then changing your life so then it comes in, in accordance with that and one of the things that like I'm incredibly proud of you as a friend is I know you've spoken openly about this before of like trying to commit suicide and how you've overcome that. Have you got any advice for anyone who's maybe struggling with anything in that aspect and like what's helped you come out the other side of it? So it's always a, it's always a really hard one to answer and it's very it's very hard to give like because for everyone the answer will be different. Um, you know, like I'm not knocking the like therapy doesn't work or whatever but I, I tried talking therapy and that made me feel worse I needed a much more like and now I'm working with a therapist that is more it's not like talking about my problems it's like talking about my solutions like you feel putting into the daily daily what I do on a daily basis and activities that you know compound a more positive mentality and um, I think the mo most important thing anyone who is struggling is is don't be afraid to admit it that's probably just the first step. What what you do after that is based on what's causing the issues for you. So that will be different for everyone. But I think the is don't be afraid to confront it. You know, and that's where I was for a long time. I, I, I looking back, I know I was, I was suffering from depression for a long time, but just ignored it. You know, and then I even remember the first time that I did speak to my wife about it, and you know, I went and seen a doctor and stuff. And when they told me, like they were like, I was like, it was like being told I had cancer. You know. You know, something you just don't expect. It's like the end of the world. And the reality is, it's it's not. It's just it's something that you just needed to confront and face head on, and you know, work work towards work towards getting through. I agree with that hundred percent. I think it's the greatest self challenge in life is becoming happy, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. <laughs> because on the face of it, like as human beings now, we have life pretty easy, like food, shelter 
clean drinking water, all that sort of stuff. But then actually like being happy and content in who you are actually becomes another challenge in a lot of respects. Yeah, and that's, that's because we're, we're now as a society being sort of like, sort of groomed to that you always need to be better. You need to chase huge goals. You, you know, social media makes you see other people doing remarkable things in your field and stuff like that. And then it's like, you think, okay, so you ignore what you have and it's always focused on what you don't have rather than, so it's, it's a very, you're setting yourself up to failure straight away there. If you're always focused on what you don't have, you're never gonna be happy. And I think when you talk about where people have a huge amount of success they portray on social media, you don't see what's going on behind the yeah. doors. So like, for example, my life was imploding in January. Like one day I was getting divorced, next day I had to clear up my house, next day my Instagram got disabled. So like my personal life collapsed, my business collapsed. And I was like, I was fucking low. And there's a photo of me holding a piece of paper I found on my phone the other day. When you get your account disabled by Instagram, you have to send them a photo of you holding a piece of paper with like some numbers on it. Like I literally look like I want to kill myself. It's like not a good situation in terms of that. And that for me was like a real low point. I was living in a hotel of my own in London. And I think when you've been to your own like real low in pits, it then makes you a stronger person to come back and builds a resilience because you can't have like the light of the day without the dark of the night. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I think everyone's been there at some point, you know, I know I have. In that regards to your own sort of darkest moments, I know you've had, from looking at social media, you've had issues in terms of your own relationships. Is that something you're open to talk about? Yeah, well, listen, I'm very much in the limelight and I think, you know, everyone's probably had their say on this and kind of know something's gone on. And, you know, um, obviously this year, like I spoke about my dealings with depression this year, it probably qualifying for the Olympia was probably the worst thing that happened for me. Um, because it... I never sort of, and I, I can say this now because I've, I've spoken with um, my therapist and stuff and I kind of, I'm understanding of it where my issues like develop with like fulfillment and stuff like that and achievements and, you know, qualifying for the Olympia in this, this sort of mental state I was in, the, the pressure I started to feel on that and it just brought back all this sort of negativity and this lack of fulfillment and, you know, the, the issues that I've had in the past with my depression never fully dealt with you know, having suffered sexual abuse. Um, and it just, you know, again, because I just didn't want to speak about it, so I kind of just kept it all to myself until it, I just imploded. I knew I was unhappy. Like, I was massively unhappy, and I could see it. I had slipped back into these old routines of, you know, I'd still, I'd still train, but I'd get up later in the day, I'd do very little, I'd sit and watch YouTube, and, you know, very unproductive and just very unfulfilling, and it just spiralled this point where I was just like miserable in myself, but not being able to admit that to myself, not being able to see it, you know, I convinced myself that I was, it was like, I was unhappy in my marriage. I was unhappy with where I was in life. And you know, I needed to, needed that old, I needed that to change. And it was like, I look back and it's, it's weird because now I look back and it's like watching someone else. It doesn't feel like me. It's like an outer body experience and, you know, I did, I went, I, I spoke with spoke with my wife and was like, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy with us, I don't know if I'm in love anymore, I think I need some time to myself, moved out, you know, and still at that point I didn't, didn't really seek any help, you know, I was miserable and I just, you know, did what stupid guys do and distracted myself with another woman. Um, quickly realised that I was even more miserable <laughs> and, um, hit a very very low point and just like everything fell apart for me at that point i was like didn't know where i was going to live didn't know where i was going to go in life and that like it was just like i was reached the point where i was just like i didn't see a point in going on with life at that point um which you know led to me attempting suicide that's okay and it in that regard, I know where you've been, having been through that relationship issues early in the year, which is why like, I can understand. And then at the time when it was like, I knew from the outside what was happening, which is why I tried to reach out to you at the time. Cause yeah. when it was happening to me, there was like no one there. So it was like, yeah. it's difficult to deal with. But Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> and I remember that. Fucking, and, just, fucking going, yeah. and yeah, just, I just, I just didn't, my head wasn't in a good place. I couldn't think straight. Um, luckily, after that, I did get get the help I needed. I did start seeing um, a therapist who was helping me. Did start speaking with my wife and start sort of 
piecing the p- bits together and working out where I was at, working out what my issues were and just day by day trying to be more positive in my approach to life and put things in place um, and also remove a lot from my life, you know, remove a lot of people from my life, remove a lot of what I was placing importance on, um, change my mentality towards things and start actually living, you know. It was the first time, first time I took a holiday in years. <laughs> you know, it's like I realized that what's the point in all this if you don't actually live? You know, um, you know, it's it's taken a lot of time. It's been months. You know, for for like I'm very lucky that you know I was able to work things out with my wife. That she was very understanding. Well, as understanding as you can be. Um, it takes a very strong woman, which she is, and yeah, probably now in the best place we've ever been. And it's, well, I have to say, I remember actually seeing you go on holiday and I was actually so happy for you because I'd never seen you do that. And it's almost like, not you'd become a normal person because, yeah. well, no, but that's, like, that's, I was like, he's actually enjoying life once because you're the most like fucking meticulous person I probably know in terms of, yeah. I mean, the first time like meeting you, going to, I think like going to the cinema before you're taking a meal with you, like everything's like on point. And at some point, I think that almost builds up a frustration where, like, in your fucking head, you're going to explode. Yeah. Well, all of that was a front and like a, a cover to like control the issues I, that I were really going underneath. You know, that if I could do that, at least I, ha- I had that part of my life in control when everything else was falling apart inside my head. Um, whereas now, like, I'm, I'm far more relaxed from that, that sense of things, and you know, placing less importance on on what the outside world thinks of me. So. It, now I'm just being able to live day to day and enjoy myself. And I think the most difficult thing to do is worry more about what you think of yourself than what other people do. Like, yeah. But unfortunately, it's the other way around. We're all about that comparison syndrome about what about like Bill next door who I don't even fucking like. What does he think about me rather than like deep down, yeah. what do I think about myself and how do I it's look at myself? It's mad because you do, you do start doing that and you reflect on things and you look and you're like, I hate that person I was. You know, I was like, I looked back at it and I was like, God, I was rude to people. I was this, I was that, you know, and I, I see like certain frustrations I'd be taking out on other people and stuff I did. I'm like, God, that person was not who I want to be. You know, it's not the, it's not the man I want to be. It's not the person I want to be remembered for. Um, you know, deep down, I know that I'm someone who genuinely wants to help others and genuinely cares about people. And, you know, I'm quite a, like, I'm quite an emotional kind of a guy. I'm not like your typical standoff person so um yeah i'm getting more in touch with that person and being more comfortable being me do you like reading do you like reading reading yeah i want to like reading okay. i struggle because i've never really done like oh, it's just mad i like, think back and like, yeah, even look at like that times in school if we had like assignments like that i had because of like all the sports I did and the scholarships and stuff, I was always allowed, you know, if we had to like read a book to write an essay on, I'd get the notes given to me from the teacher. <laughs> so I've never really, it's something I want to do and I have started reading. Um, I read one of Lewis Howe's books um, and I'm, I want to read, I have it at home, Stephen Bartlett's uh, Happy Sexy Millionaire. It will, we'll come to that in a minute, but that, that book literally, I read it and I was like, it's like me talking to myself. Yeah. Because it's like, when I, I don't know, so for example, like I'm 32 now, when I was 25, it's like, you can have money, you live in Dubai, you have a like, fucking great body, like from the outside, you live in a fucking amazing place, like nice car, like, you should have everything. I can go anywhere I want, do whatever I want with whoever I want. From the outside, I should have it all and be the happiest man in the world. Yet a lot of the time, I'm still like, end up being shitty with people, I'm unhappy and not content. And that's when you suddenly realize this picture you had in yourself when you were 25 years old is when I have these things, I'll be happy. But you realize that, that's not actually what Bill brings fulfillment is these materialistic things. And it comes back to what we're talking about in terms of like how you look at yourself and your own self-worth, which is what makes you happy rather than the things you own and things you possess and who you are online. Yeah, massively. I had, I had conversations for similar to this with a client the other day because he was like, he's got massively into the whole fitness journey and stuff. And he got himself in incredible shape at the age of 45. And he's like, it's mad, I'm away. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm afraid, like he's like, I went out for a few drinks and the next day we were, I didn't want to take my top off. And he's like, cause I'm more conscious of how I look now. And he was like, before when I was just fat, I didn't care. And I said, and I said to him, it's like, the more you get into something and the more you like really apply yourself to it, the more serious your goals are, the more you expect of yourself. But then further, th- so it's like the, 
it's mad. Like the people who are higher up in the fitness industry are probably the most self-conscious of the way they look. You know, they go on holidays and they're like, God, I don't want to go to the pool in my swim shorts because I'm not happy that I don't have the perfect six pack right now. They go down and, you know, some fat German man with 20 stone overweights, like having the time of his life doesn't give a shit what he looks like because he places no importance on physical appearance. Whereas, you know, this person is like, fitness is your life. Your sole importance is on physical appearance. And I've been thinking about a lot about that. And I think, why is that? I said, if it was just important to you because you loved it, it wouldn't. But that's when I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Your importance of it is based on you want to be so good at it and want to be at the top in it and look this amazing because of what people think about you. If you were solely working out and just like training and doing all this because you loved it, you wouldn't really care what other people thought about you. You just care how you looked yourself and you would be quite comfortable in yourself. And I think that's what, what's important. It's like, and I see a lot with people, say for example, people come to me for like business coaching or you know, even fitness coaching. People aren't true to their values. So for example, from a business coaching perspective where people want to be successful online coaches or whatever, that like they're in terrible shape themselves. They don't have to train people. It's like, if you were true to your values, you would be in great shape because you love the process, you love the shit, you'd love learning about training and nutrition. And then as a byproduct, you were then having a successful business, even if you were really bad at business or in marketing yeah. or whatever. Hey, I'll put my hands up. I've been the worst person in the world managing my business over last because I placed no importance on the side of like marketing and any of this sort of stuff. And I've been pretty damn successful purely because obviously people buy into to me and I, I get results and I live and walk the lifestyle and so I'm like obviously comes across but now I'm at the point where I'm like god if I actually just tried to actually build a proper business here and I put something it would be far more successful and I think that's what comes down to is like walking the walk in what you do because you're true to the values of what you actually enjoy like yeah. bodybuilding is your passion and, and yeah. you love it and like fitness weight training and everything like that is my passion for me as well and that's why me actually doing the shows in the coming weeks and stuff again has like relit the fire for me because before I was almost a bit lost in terms of like, respectfully, it's relatively easy to stay in good shape and just piss around, not piss around, but like not really have any definitive goals. But yeah. I think as men, as much as we talk about goals don't make you happy, it's the fulfillment in the process of chasing a yeah. goal that makes you happy because it gives you something to like chase after. It's like you're, when you're in number two, you want to be number one, so you've got someone yeah. to chase. When you're number one, it's harder to motivate yourself because you've got yeah, no one there. to me like you people are probably surprised to hear this but my goals are not so much bodybuilding related but it's like by the, time the four, by the time I'm 40 I'm like I want to have done an Ironman you know so it's just like but and if someone's like why because I, I hate walking I hate it but it's like to prove to myself I could do it it's one of the hardest things in the world you can do I want to, I want to do it I like to have a challenge but that comes down to you want to look at yourself in the mirror and know what you're worth yeah it's just you know I just see it as like and I have no experience. Okay, well, granted, back when I played sport, I did a lot of running, and I was a, I was very fit, so I can do the running aspect. Of it. I've done some cycling, swimming wise. So it's going to take me a long time to get there. But I'm like, you know, if, if I I know I have the mental application to do it. You know, I've been through some hard preps. I've done. You know, if I can do what I've, I do, I can just apply that same mentality to another field easily. When it comes back to bodybuilding, what's the biggest mistake you've made in a prep before? Doing too much definitely doing too much um prime example my uh pro debut uh, the uk show in 2020 right during the, the lockdown i remember there was the show that uh, was supposed to be on a saturday i was over there i remember it was sunday i remember because it was a sunday evening and i was actually in becky's brother's house and we sat there and i got a text message through from um Someone being like, oh no, I was seen on the news, it just announced that uh, we're going into lockdown from Thursday and the show was supposed to be on Saturday. And uh, I actually, I, it's funny, most people would be like, got it. I was like, yes, I don't have to do this show because I knew I wasn't in great shape. I knew I had messed up prep. And I was like, let's get pizza. And then I got a message through and it was like, don't abandon prep, show's gonna be moved to Wednesday. And I was like, oh shit. Um, but that prep, I was, training twice doing two weight sessions a day six days a week and cardio on top of that you know dining hard i remember at about six weeks out looking like incredible like really really good and then things just got worse and worse and worse as i got into the show because fatigue buildup was massive output was too high food wasn't enough 
and my body just shut down. I just I remember I just got I literally just got like I remember saying like every time I was checking in, I, I say to Becky, I was like, I'm getting smaller and fatter every week, <laughs> you know. And it was purely from just managing, just doing too much. You know, that's one of the biggest things on prep is managing output, managing fatigue, and managing cortisol. It's not just about. And as a coach, I always say like any coach can just keep lowering your food and increasing your cardio. That fucking monkey can do that. You know, actually managing someone's hormones and managing someone's cortisol levels and put, knowing when to push, knowing when to pull, that's what will get someone in shape. What would you do in that scenario? Say you had a client you're starting to go down that route. It depends how bad, where they'd got to. If it was like they'd literally hit the point where it was like they were shutting something down, nothing was working out, but it was way too high. I'd be like, right, three, four days rest, high food, you know, reset everything, go from there, pull back on cardio, try and increase their food to a baseline. You've got to remember you're increasing their food, they're still going to be in a deficit. You want just allowing them to function and allowing their training performance to go up. So there's like a snowball effect there. The more food and less output they're doing, training performance will go up so you'll get a yield return there in terms of fat loss from that alone. That makes sense. Now coming into the other aspect in terms of what we're looking to ask another bodybuilding question, I remember we did, we talked about this in a previous podcast in terms of you put on a shit ton of muscle mass uh, when you first came out here originally. What is the secret to doing that? Because obviously I'm trying to do this the next year after the show. <laughs> like what, what would you suggest to me, for example, is the thing to really push the needle in terms of adding on muscle tissue, as much muscle tissue in a year, like what did you do or what would you do? Consistency, that's, that's uh, as simple as it sounds. The sexy uh, answer. Yeah, just, it is, there is no magic answer, but it's doing, the, it's doing the simple process over and over again every day. And that's, it's a hard thing to do because it gets boring, you know? Um, it's just, and not trying too hard with it. You know, the biggest thing that ruins most people's off seasons and their progress is they try and push too hard with food too soon. And then it's appetite taste. Like how many people? Oh, I can't eat now. And they've only been they've only been trying to they've only been trying to go into a surplus. They've been only three months into an off season. If you look at my off seasons, they're generally eight plus months, and I never once take a break on them because, but it's slow. And like everyone always says, oh, you stay lean in your off season because I don't push too hard. You know, my food will go up a little bit, my weight will go up a little bit. I'll hold. I'll do a holding phase. I all. I'll never go like so. Say I go from two, 240 to 245 in like a couple of weeks and then it stalls at 245 for a week, two weeks, three weeks. I'm not then going to increase food. I'm like, no, I'm going to hold and own this weight, make this weight mine, hold it there, start feeling comfortable. Okay, now I'm starting to feel hungry. Push food up a bit, allow it to go to 250, same thing again. Um, yeah, just patience, consistency and just taking, taking things slow. I think that's very much ingrained in society where we chase things too quickly and everyone wants quick success tomorrow whether it's building yeah. muscle losing body fat they try and push their body too hard and either building muscle or dropping body fat and it fucks them over within yeah. like two weeks probably like that's the nutrition aspect I think but the, the biggest the biggest thing for me in the last sort of couple of years and the progress I've made has been down to the the accuracy of my training um, like anyone who knows me knows that like I massive on form execution and then I've just got this mindset that I have to beat myself, <laughs> you know? It's interesting because I would agree with that 100% because when I first met you, you and Jamie were training together, you were training like fucking crazy high volume, loads of crazy shit training twice a day. And now you've gone the other perspective in terms of like progressive overload, more sort of generally straight sets from what I see, more of a conventional style training with like really tight execution. And yeah. I think your body's responded phenomenally to Massively, that. and I've become more in tune with my body as well, like that I, that I recognize what's productive and what's not. Like even now, um, with like for my leg training at the moment as a prime example, you know, I, I obviously had a quad tear leading into prep, I recovered from it, and then I was like, right, I need to to get back some of this volume in my legs. I noticed that there was a little less pop to my quads. I was like, I need to get this volume back. So we increased the frequency of my quad training. So there was, um, you know, obviously there was a leg day with some with a certain amount of quad volume, and then obviously in my pull hamstring day, then became a pull leg day, putting in like three sets of leg press. And at the start of this this like training block, for example, my pendulum was three plates plus a green band. Now, in the past few weeks, that's gone to six plates plus a green band. So I've doubled the, the, the weight that's on there. So I was doing a top set and a back off set. But now that top set is, is creating such a demand on my body that I was like, 
I was just taking 10, 15 minutes rest before the back offset. And then I was like, I was doing the back offset and I'm like, it's half the weight and I'm still not achieving any more reps. I'm like, there's, there's, there's zero purpose to this. But then when I thought about it and you think about the actual total load volume being moved, I've gone from moving 60 kilo plus screen band, so let's say 90 kilo of tension by 10 reps, 900 kilo. That's now gone to six, six plates times 20 is uh, 120 times 10 reps. That's now, you know, we've doubled the thing. So if you think of the look at the weight volume moved in that, in that one exercise in the one set now is more than what the two sets used to be. So you have to take that into account. It's like, well, that second set now is just driving too much fatigue. and It's going to take away from my legs. So like my leg volume now, because my strength is like at an absolute all time high is very little. My compound movements are just one set. And that's what and, and that was just me being just in tune with us and being and being realistic myself, what's capable what's actually productive here. You know, if I'm I'm doing the second set and I'm not feeling it and it's not really having any productivity, I may as well just be running on a treadmill and burning calories because that's all that set's doing for me. And I think this is a huge mistake people make is they associate training volume with burning calories with getting in shape. And weight <laughs> training is a terrible and an inefficient way to yeah. burn calories. Do cardio for that or eat less food. Like this yeah. is not what weight training is designed what for. What you do on the gym floor should have is nothing to do with calories everything you do outside of the gym is, is managing your 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 input and output one question for you what does the future hold for darren farrell what's the plans in terms of obviously you mentioned briefly in bodybuilding but business and, and later in life and i know one of the things i remember you saying to me before that one of your goals was you want to be one of the best coaches in the world and held in like the highest regard which again is one of the reasons which attracted to me me to you in terms of um, like you walk the walk, you get other people who are pushing to very high levels and you've set high goals in terms of the standards you set for yourself in coaching. Like what is your aspirations in that point of view? So within bodybuilding from a personal, as an athlete, I, uh, I kind of feel like I've done everything I wanted to do at this point. Um, as I said earlier, the other things, maybe compete for another year, cement myself and you know get back to another Olympia. And from there, then, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old. So I'm like, at this point now, I'm thinking family, longevity. And uh, my body's taking a battering. And, you know, it's, it's not the, I'm not going to say it's not the healthiest, because I'm not, I don't mean it from a health standpoint. I feel from a functional and mobility standpoint, I'm just like, I'm sick of being heavy. I'm sick of walking around in off season, like 270 pounds, not being able to, you know, I go to the mall and walk. And I'm like, oh God, I want to sit down, you know, um, so I'm probably going to bodybuild personally maybe another year, do it another year. Um, and then I'm going to step into like more functional training, more hybrid training, get back to being like an athlete like I used to be doing running, cycling, work towards that sort of Ironman in a couple of years. Um, but sort of have that crossover of still hypertrophy along with performance-based training. Um, something that I'm really looking forward to. I think it'll be a massive challenge for me. And that way it's kind of a good crossing the bridge that I can still look good, feel good, um, but be a lot more mobile and perform. Um, from a coach standpoint, I've, I've still so much more within this industry I want to do. Um, and that's where I feel like I can offer the most is I do want to be, as you said, like I want to work with the highest level athletes. I want to put loads of people on the Olympia stage. I want to be at that level. So and I think being stepping back as an athlete will allow me then to excel more further in there. Um, I feel like now I've I've walked the walk, I've proven I know what I'm doing, that I no longer need to be Darren the athlete to attract people to work with me. I can just be Darren the coach. I love that. One question I love to ask people at the end of podcasts. If you could give yourself one piece of advice when you're 18 years old, what would it be? Mm. One piece. Not take things too seriously. Um, do things because you want to do them. Yeah. Do things because you want to do them. What actually, if nobody was watching, nobody existed, social media didn't exist, what would you do? Do that. That's a fucking great answer. Thank you very much, Darren. For everyone who enjoyed the podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave us a five-star review. Check out Darren. I'll check out his uh, Instagram and bits and pieces below the podcast. And thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thank you.